Do you think he can fly? Shh. Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. <laughs> Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. Happy 2017 to you. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about what the gospel isn't. And if, if, we could, if we could somehow, if we could somehow reframe the story that the gospel has anything to do with Jesus' obsession with our becoming well-behaved kids, that would be great. Um, but we're going to talk a lot about what it is and and what it isn't, and I love, I love how humor can um, reveal things that um, sometimes are kind of hidden. I mean, nobody would confess that that's the Jesus they follow, but there's a little bit of me that thinks maybe that's true, right? Hey, who in 2017 intends to get in better shape? Don't raise your hands, by the way. There's no use embarrassing ourselves. <laughs> We'll just pretend these are all rhetorical questions. So who in 2017 has made the resolution that they are going to get into better shape? And who in 2017 has made a resolution that they intend to eat healthier food? Well, you're in good company. They do market research people and economists do research on this stuff. And beginning January 1st, there is a surge, as you perhaps already know, in gym memberships, and there is a decline in McDonald's consumption. 
But did you know that they know the exact date when that will change? I was listening to an NPR report, I th or maybe it was Freakonomics, I can't remember, but it was um, February 7th. February 7th, they predict that the increase in gym membership and the decline in McDonald's will shift. And on that day, things will begin to almost immediately normalize. I, I admit that part of what motivated me to have our conversation this morning was my own, whatever it is, about New Year's. And about this idea that, man, I, I gotta do something, I gotta get better, I've, 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 gotta, I've gotta do better. And I gotta do better certainly in my health and in my strength and my recovery. But I'll admit there is this part of me that always creeps in. I, 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 gotta, I gotta be a better Christian. And, um, and I've made resolutions as it relates to my relationship with, with God over the years. And I would say February 17th is on the outer edge of how far I can make it. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about that today. About what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't. And so I've chosen the beginning of the book of Galatians. This is one of Paul's probably earliest, if not the earliest, or first letter that he wrote. And um, he writes it to, it's a big area, it's one of these letters, it's a circular letter, it gets, it gets passed around to lots of little churches, and it's a very diverse group. There are Jewish congregations, but they're, and they're mixed congregations. You need to kind of have that in mind that there are old-time Jewish people who, who kind of know religion in and out, and then there are brand new sort of people introduced to the Hebrew strain of what it means to be a follower of God, and they are brand new, what we call Christians. And so here is the opening of that letter. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I seeking to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a little preface because this is a in some ways, my favorite conversation to talk about the gospel. The gospel just, it, it means good news, but it, it is a, a basket term that I think means, in some ways, the summary of all that God intends for us, all the goodness that God wants, all that the Bible talks about. In some ways, I think you could call the gospel. 
But as I do that, I, I, I want to be careful, and I, I will just confess my own sort of, not confusion, but it, it's like, how do I put into words? And, and so I want to read just from it, the end of Colossians, or just to give you an idea. And this is Paul at the very end. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And I just love that, that he's not asking that he could somehow not make it mysterious, but that he could present the mystery of it clearly. That's kind of what we're talking about. It seems it seems incompatible, but it, it has been my experience with the gospel. It, it, sometimes it, it feels clear, and yet at the same time when I try to articulate it, it's, it, it's mysterious. It's something I can't quite put into words. All right, so I'm going to identify for you what I have identified as just four different kinds of gospel. And the first that I've both experienced and I sort of see in these passages, um, what I call the sentimental gospel or this idea of a sentimental love. I'm on my, my daughter has me on a new health regime, and it's helping. And part of that, she has introduced me into, I don't know if you've ever heard of kombucha. Anybody here ever had kombucha? Yeah. It is vinegar, just so you know, okay? It's just, it's just vinegar that's more expensive. And, um, <laughs> but I, 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 I got some kombucha, and, and, and I, I, I drank it, and, and then, I, you, 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 I want, I just have to read for you this description of, of GT's kombucha. Rejoice! This, everything I'm going to read is actually on this bottle. Rejoice! This is a live food. We believe that good things come from small beginnings, and that's why we make our kombucha in the same small batches I used from the start in my mother's kitchen. Oh, that, that's, that's dear. Our batches are small enough to hug, which we do because in bold and italicized, love is our number one ingredient. In the ingredient list, it says these words that it is GT's organic raw kombucha, fresh pressed ginger juice, and 100% pure. If you drink this product, you will get electrolytes, polyphenols, and enzymes. But in addition to that, it also says you will rebalance, reawaken, rethink, rekindle, redefine, rediscover, reimagine, relive, repurpose, reinvent, reclaim, recapture. Why? Because it is packaged with love. Okay, I will confess, I am a, I'm just kind of over the word love. This is terrible to confess. As a minister of the gospel, as a follower of Jesus, I'm just tired of the word love. What happens to me often sometimes in conversations is, is, is I get what it feels, to, it's just a trump card. Hey, I just love. And what I hear them saying is I got kombucha. I have this sentimental idea of, 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 of really good warm feelings. And I do not believe that is love. Often when I hear people talking about I just want to love, I don't think it has anything to do with how the scriptures would describe love. I was channel surfing. And I, um, I, uh, 
You know, I don't know, sometimes, I don't know if you channel surf, I channel surf, and all of a sudden something just captures you and you, you get mesmerized. And I was watching this show called My 600-Pound Life. And I was, I was mesmerized. And it's, it is, it's really these it's really redemptive, beautiful, hard, hard stories. And one of the stories I was watching was, was this young man who was, for the most part, immobile and bedridden. And the people who are doing this intervention are talking to his mother and asking, well, because you see, the only way he has gotten the food and fed the addiction that he has is his mother brings it to him. I, I saw two chickens in addition to all the other things that would go with a chicken dinner and a huge dessert at one meal. And they asked her, why do you, why do, you do that? And, and she said, because he cries for it, he begs me for it, and because I love him so much. And it startled me. That's our definition of love sometimes. Kathleen and I were, were talking. It just, re, it just reminded me at the, before the service. She was asking me about how this is going, and she and I have had both, you know, we've had healthy. And, and we we're talking about, is, now let me be careful. Is anybody here a physical therapist? Dang. All right, I'll just move on to the next point. Um, no, honestly, what I was going to say is, you're horrible people. You do horrible things. I have not yet gone to my therapist, and they made me feel good. But my therapist loves me. It was so funny, I was just thinking. Yesterday, I had this weird, I had this weird turn of a corner, and I was beginning to walk without my crutch and without near the kind of pain, and I could walk sort of independently and putting, I can't roll my foot yet, but I could put full weight on my foot, and I told my wife, oh my gosh, it was like at two o'clock yesterday afternoon, all of a sudden, something was different, and you know why? It's because my demonic therapist, <laughs> who hurts me every time, you get the point. Love is not sentimental. L listen, I want to read for you. I don't think, I haven't completely researched, I don't remember every, anywhere in the book of Galatians, I could be wrong, I don't remember the word showing up, but I think it's all over the book, and I think it's all over when, when he talks about this gospel that he loves, and what he talks about in this gospel is, is captured in these first few sentences. Listen to his, what I call, description of love. Grace. Grace is a word that describes love. It is all of God giving to you. And what is required of you? Yeah, that's right, nothing. And he gives to you grace and peace from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his, how does all that happen? Who gave himself for our sins. The love of God is impossible to be divorced from the sacrifice of Jesus. A little later on, we read Paul 
and he has this emotional outburst about people who are talking about a false gospel. But even if we or an angel of heaven should preach a gospel contrary, let them be accursed. And again, I say to you, if, if, if somebody's preaching a false, let them be accursed. And as you read those words, what emotions do you imagine he is feeling? Warm, fuzzy sentimentality? No, he's angry. He's so angry. Can anger and love coexist? I'll remember this moment. You, you have in your life moments that you will never forget. They, they are as clear today as it was now 31 or two years ago when it happened. We were walking down the main street of Durango on a vacation, and my son was about three years old. And as we were walking down one street, one side of Main Street, as, as I recall, across the sidewalk, he saw his grandparents. And as soon as he saw them, he jerked away from me and he ran towards them, going between two parked cars. And I immediately saw the car coming, which slammed on its brakes and barely missed him. When I got to my son, I don't know, I, I can still feel the adrenaline, I can still feel my body shaking, and I can still feel myself screaming at him. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that was the best expression of my love, but I am saying there was nothing in me but love for my son that erupted in that anger. Why? because I knew the consequence of what could happen. I know that, I'm not saying this, this makes everything easy in the Bible to read. There's tough places in the Bible. And sometimes some of those tough places are related to what are the, sort of the anger of God. But if you remember, remember that God sees a consequence that you don't see. Paul is, is not mad at his, at his friends for abandoning the gospel because it makes him look bad or because numbers go down and he can't report to his supervisor, you know, up a, a big growth trend. He's upset because he knows the consequence of a false gospel. A sentimental definition of love, divorced from the sacrifice of Jesus, I think, is a false gospel. There is a religious gospel. Paul says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Excuse me. I was rereading that and I was remembering in my own life those, those conversations. I'm going to make a conjecture, pure conjecture, that both in Paul's experience and what has also been true in my experience is that in that conversation, I have never yet had someone go, yes, you're right. That's what I'm doing. In fact, they've always said to me, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm turning to a, a different gospel? I, in fact, 
have never been happier. I, in fact, have never been more devout. I, in fact, have never been closer to God. And then, in each situation, completely different, they would lay out for me a new religious practice that they had discovered. Now, this context, in in this moment in time, this is what was happening. Some of you already know this. I'll give you a very quick summary. I I sort of mentioned at the beginning when I was talking about this whole region, you see some people had had heard the gospel of, of of this Jesus who will rescue them. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but he's rescued them. And they, they go, he, I, yes, they just said yes. And, um, and then behind that story, these were primarily people who'd come from a non-religious or not a Hebrew religious faith probably. And the reason we know that is because behind the preachers of the gospel, Paul and others, were these people called Judaizers. And they were coming behind and this was their gospel. Yes, say yes to Jesus. And you must also become a Jew. You can accept the Messiah. They were not denying the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were not denying the sacrifice of Jesus. What they were saying is the sacrifice of Jesus will get you 95% there. You need the sacrifice of Jesus and you need to become a Jew. And the primary initiation, as we remember all the way back from Moses, the primary initiation into, into the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew faith was what? Circumcision. Now, here's what's fascinating. People were going, that makes sense. You see, I think a religious gospel is more appealing than the gospel. I'll tell you more about why I think that is in a little bit. But think about this just for a moment. This was working. People were going, yes. Let's just go back 2,000 years ago. Let's just think about what they were signing up for. Yes, there was some some surgical advances. But here's one thing they didn't have. Anesthesia. It's a pretty brutal and horrific experience. And and they said yes, because it makes sense to have Jesus plus. Everything I'm going to list for you right now is good. Nothing I'm going to list in this moment is bad. But I've got to figure out a way to have this conversation in Denver 2017 because nobody here is compelled to go have that surgery. None of you wives or girlfriends, mothers, or sisters are going to encourage the men in your life to have this religious epiphany and have this, it's not gonna happen today. Here's a short list of good things that sometimes can become the new gospel. 
the gospel of self-esteem, the gospel of Bible knowledge, the, 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 the Jesus plus community, the Jesus plus yoga, the Jesus plus counseling. I, the list could go on and on. It, it, it's an, it, the list is infinite, quite honestly. It, it's, it's the variable of all good things that we then begin to believe have the power to set us free in the way that only Jesus can. I believe that we, in, in, I know that I'm, it's easy to be misquoted and I'll just take the chance. I don't think religion is necessarily a good thing. I think it's often harmful and destructive. That doesn't mean that within religious systems there are not good components. But in our world today, what I hear by far the most is that all religions are the same because in a sense, they are all rooted in some ethic of love. And as the prime example often, it is given that Jesus, what we call the golden rule, you remember the golden rule most likely, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is an expression of a way to love somebody, that all major religions have a version, not the exact quote, but something exactly similar to that. And then the extrapolation is, therefore, all religions are fundamentally the same. And I would say, I think all religions are superficially related to Jesus and Christianity, but are fundamentally different. And here is why. Because if you take all religious systems and if someone fails to keep their version of the golden rule, what is the consequence? It is alienation from God. But in the Christian system, if we fail to keep the golden rule, which we do, what is the consequence? Uh, there, it's, it's hard on our soul. It's not good for us. But there is zero impact in my relationship with God. This is my definition of religion. Definition of religion is a good, a seemingly good system that you must first perform to then have the experience of being loved and connected to God. And I hope you know that our gospel is in fact the repentance of any religious system. The, the, the repentance of I believe what is good. What that means is I changed my mind, I confess, I agree, I was wrong about that. That there is nothing I can do to be loved and accepted by God. And our first point about the gospel of sentimentality, I believe only God can define love and he defines that as sacrifice often. And he at least models it in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And I believe only God can define ultimately what is good and he is good. And what does he require of you? More sacrifice? No. Any gospel that implies you must in some way earn it, I think is a false gospel. 
Let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. What is a Christian? Now, this is, I'm getting really picky, and I'm, we all, we're, we're all, language is always going to betray us in a sense. But it's really interesting. I've noticed in these last several years something people say that is true, but I'm, I'm curious about what's behind it. And when asked, are you a Christian, here's what I hear people say. I am a follower of Jesus. I understand that there's a sense in which that's true. But I'm going to say it's a little bit maybe troubling to me, and I could be wrong. But let me explain why. Because you see, there is a gospel, a false gospel, that is ego-friendly. The ego-friendly gospel is, is one in which your ego remains intact. What's the greatest barrier to the gospel? What is the greatest barrier to people coming to faith in Christ? Why would people abandon Jesus and, and the, the freeness of it all to get circumcised or to work harder or to enter into a system which ultimately will fail them. It's because the gospel has an implied humility to it or an implied humiliation to it. The, the opening passage, which I think is capturing for us the gospel, it says these words, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age. The word deliver is, is also a word for rescue. I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. One is my, my recent accident. I, I shared with you some of the, you know, the ins and outs of what happened on wrecked my motorcycle, and I'm up on Highway 72. As I'm lying there, then the, the first responders were um, the volunteer team from Gilpin County. And, and it was a, a large team. It was immediately clear to me. Oh, 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 no, let me, I'm sorry, let me back up. Let me share with you my first feeling other than pain after the accident. You might think it was fear. It wasn't fear. It was embarrassment. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I wrecked my friend's motorcycle. I was embarrassed that people saw me. I was embarrassed primarily because I was helpless. I was embarrassed by it. And so it, as I was thinking back on it, it now informs what, what was going on because you see that very first responder was a woman who I, it, I would assume was in training or not well experienced. And, and they, they, were, they were wonderful people and they did lots of good things and they, they, you know, they were cutting my pants off and they were cutting my shoe off and they were trying to, you know, they were trying to get me a little more comfortable by immobilizing stuff. But she said, I need to give you an IV and I thought that would be fantastic because I know what comes after that. <laughs> you know, happy juice kinds of things. And, um, and I was in horrible pain, and so, I'm, I, and, and so this woman who very clearly is, a, is new at this, I'm, I'm going into shock, I, you know, it's a warm day, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of trembling, and I'm shaking, and I'm in pain. 
And all of a sudden, I'm trying to take care of her because I'm embarrassed. And so she starts poking me. I've never had ever, I've given lots of blood, I've had lots of blood drawn, I've never had it, it's never been a problem. And she goes, oops, missed, oops, missed, oops, missed. And I'm not getting, I'm not, I'm so embarrassed. And so I just offer her my other arm. So she goes to this arm, oops, oops. And finally, finally, she and I both know she does one last one and we both know she still hadn't hit it. And I know she hasn't hit it. And I'm telling her, that's fine, that'll work. I mean, one, I want her to quit poking me, but, but what, 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 as I'm looking back, what it is, is see, I'm embarrassed that I'm in this situation that I need to be helped. When I got into the ambulance and the Boulder team came and they were, you know, they're paid professionals and the, the, guy, the guy starts to give me an IV and he goes, whoa, I don't think that's in. I'm going, I can guarantee you it's not in. <laughs> and he, he took it out and a second later we were in and heading towards nirvana. But anyhow, um, (laughs) do you know where most choking victims are discovered outside of people who live alone or found in their homes? Do you know where the second most commonplace choking victims are found? The bathroom of restaurants. Think about it. If you start to choke, what's your instinct? I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed, and when I'm embarrassed, I want to get away from people. I don't like to be embarrassed. I don't want people to see me. Now, if we're analyzing that, that's utter stupidity, and yet it's completely human. The reason the gospel is so difficult not because it's difficult, it's because it implies this humiliation that you need it. I'm not in any way suggesting that God is asking you to humiliate yourself. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that the receiving of help is an act of humiliation. And that is what prevents the gospel. I may have the language wrong, but I think this idea of repentance, which has something to do with how I think about my life and my system of relating to God, that repentance has something to do with, oh my gosh, I'm not okay. I'm not good. It doesn't mean I'm not made in the image of God. It doesn't mean that I'm not fully, fully embodied by the the creator. I've gotten around this, okay? This is a problem I've noticed. There's There's this theological debate, I'm gonna invite you into it, about total depravity and the being made in the image of God. Here's how I've come, I've resolved it. From now on, human beings are 200%. 100% selfish and want to do their own thing, make their own God, and 100% created in the spectacular image of God and birthed into a garden innocent. That's how I resolve it. A little gift to you. From now on, if you get in that conversation, just say, yep, it's 200%. So anyhow, back to my thing. And so what I'm saying, what I'm saying is when, when we confess I'm not okay, that doesn't mean that I'm not made okay. 
I don't know how it all resolved. I just know that it's something to do with my system is wrong. Any gospel that implies that you're just fine the way you are, it's not the gospel. Again, kind of circling back, you see most often that argument has to do with religion. Think about Jesus' encounter with religious people. Do you remember in John chapter three, one of his most, in, most famous conversations, Nicodemus, who is, he's like the, um, like the president of the synagogue. He, he's the head guy. And he, he knows the faith. He's devout. He loves God. As a matter of fact, he's so devout, he's seeking out Jesus. He's so curious. And he comes to Jesus. What do I have to do? This is where Jesus, if you remember, introduces the idea of being born again. This is where Jesus states those most often quoted words about God so loving the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe on him, that's where all that happens. And that's interesting because what Jesus does not say to a man who loves God and is religiously devout and working it hard, he does not say, ah, you're just fine the way you are. You're good, man. Double down. Keep doing it. Make a new resolution. Work harder. But ultimately, your religion is, that's good stuff. Every time Jesus encounters that, it's the antidote to that, which is, come to me. When Jesus said, you know, my, my, my burden is light, he is contrasting that to the religious system of everyone, everywhere, over all time. All religion, in some way, will sneak in a burden that is unbearable by you. One more, there's a, and this will go fast, there's just the, what I would call the popular gospel. This is what's difficult. Not always, for sure not always, but historically through time, beginning in the very early story of the book of Acts, the beginning of the, the story of the, the gospel spreading. People who shared this gospel, which has the implication of this. This is why the gospel is offensive. It's offensive in its premise because I need a savior and it is offensive in the execution. I can do nothing to save myself. That offense historically gets you jailed beaten, ostracized, and sometimes killed. The gospel isn't popular. I think that's what, Jesus, that's what Paul is alluding to when he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I still were trying to please man, I wouldn't tell this gospel. I would tell them a gospel that is about sentimental love or about a religious system or one that is ego-friendly where you get to stay intact or one that will make you popular but none of that is really the gospel. It's a fair question. Why would we be talking about the gospel? Isn't that something that happens in our past? Something we believe and then we sort of move beyond. Not me. You see, I'm not, 
I've, I've talked about this, this other gospel as, as other people. But the reality is I very quickly find myself believing these other gospels. I very quickly, while I am grateful, I believe, I can, I, I'm grateful that for me I have, I can remember sort of the season in which I was saved, in which I first trusted Jesus as a high school student. And I can, I remember my baptism. I remember what that meant. But I've been saved many times. Not that I had lost something, but that, oh yeah, I've begun to follow a false gospel. And that was why I wanted to open 2017 with this conversation. Because the gospel is always good news. When we believe the gospel, it is liberating and it frees us. In fact, I believe that it was um, this idea of being set free that sort of undergirds the entire book of Galatians, this entire letter. When Paul says it was for freedom that Jesus set you free. Do not submit yourself again to a bad gospel, my translation. I am... Um, of course, then have the perfect transition to the Lord's Supper. It is why each week, in fact, we rehearse the gospel. Why every time that we gather together here as a worshiping community, we tell the gospel. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the body and he broke, took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Why? Because you need it. You need it. And this is my blood which is the cup. Wine? Okay. So brown is wine? Okay. This is my blood of the new covenant. This is my blood. This is the new deal. I'm going to do everything to save you. Everything. There's nothing you have to do. That's the covenant. You simply receive. The white cup is juice. So we invite you to come taste the gospel, the good news that will set you free. Lord, we believe, and then we might wake up not believing, but we want to believe again and again and again, and we want to believe, and we ask that you help us believe, and and by believing that we surrender to you, do we surrender to your good news so you can set us free. Amen.
Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power or at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.